0: Is it on? Oh, good. Okay. Let's pray. Dear Lord, be with us tonight and speak. Amen. That's good. All right. So, so we're in this series about the offices of Christ. Um, And so... Just to kind of review a little bit, you know, the Old Testament is a story of God's interactions with his people, Israel. Um, And those interactions were primarily experienced through the three positions of authority. Okay, so the prophets spoke God's words to the people, priests brought God's presence through sacrifice, and kings brought God's rule. Um, So, So they were God's, the kings were God's agents, expanding the kingdom, protecting people, providing safety and justice. And then the New Testament is a story of Jesus and how he brought God's kingdom to the world and it opened up to everybody. And we learned that Jesus is the prophet and he cries out God's heart and that through his death and resurrection, he invites us to join him in speaking God's word uh, to the world to call out sin, evil, and justice and proclaim the good news. Okay. We learned that Jesus is the priest, bringing God's presence to earth through the sacrifice of himself. And that through his death and resurrection, he invites us to join him in priesthood, bringing heaven and earth together in ourselves and bringing God's presence into the world. And today we're going to learn that Jesus is the king, bringing God's kingdom to the world through his death and resurrection, and that he invites, he's sitting on the throne working to build a new heaven and earth, and he invites us to join him in that work, by laying down ourselves and our identities, becoming downwardly mobile, and that Jesus is making all things new through us as we submit to his rule. <laughs> all right, so, you know, I had this whole thing about, you know, Eden and everything. Eric talked last week about Eden and the splintering that occurred with sin. Um, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but the the short version um, is that God was the king in Eden. Um, And we were created as his agents to reflect his glory uh, and to rule the earth, to go out, fill it, and subdue it. Uh, But we rejected him and tried to make ourselves into gods. And so God has been working since then to reconcile us and to bring us back to that place of God as God and us as us. um, And us as his agents to rule the earth. Uh, and to bring about his his goals and desires. So um, we start with Israel, okay? And God's people needed a king, okay? And so God sent Samuel to David. And the Bible says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David was anointed with the Spirit of God, and he was God's agent on earth. He was a man after God's own heart, and he had a lot of failings, but he ruled with God's hand, providing, protecting, and expanding the kingdom. He was anointed with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God was on the other kings of Israel as well, as they led God's people, protecting them, fighting for them. And bringing justice, um, at least in theory. Uh, But the well-being of the kingdom and God's interaction with it was dependent on the king. So its fortunes rose and fell depending on who sat on the throne. And some kings turned to God and submitted to his rule. And the kingdom thrived. But most, like Saul and others, rejected God, sought their own glory. And so the kingdom drifted away from God until God sent them into exile. And then the rest of the Old Testament is a story of God calling his people back. It's a story of looking back to David and the reign and kingdom of David and looking forward, especially, to the promised Messiah. Uh, Through the prophets, God promised that Messiah, a king who would come and rule his people and expand the kingdom. Daniel said, "...in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven." And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The same way Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And Zechariah said that on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. So God promised a Savior. He promised a Messiah. He promised restoration, peace, cleansing from sin and impurity. And he promised to bring his people back under his rule and restore the proper order of things to provide and protect and rule over his people forever. So the New Testament is when that promise comes true. It's the story of Jesus. Uh, The waiting came to an end, and God became human. And from the beginning of the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the Messiah, the King, come to restore God's people. In Luke, the angel tells Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. The wise men, the magi came and said, where is the one who has been born? King of the Jews. We saw his star. And when he was taken to the temple to be circumcised, both Anna and Simeon recognized him as the Messiah and praised him. And then throughout the gospels, he's identified as the Messiah and King. People of his time recognized him and referred to him as the Christ and as the Son of David. And most importantly, Jesus himself called himself the King and the Messiah. In Luke, he quotes Isaiah's promise of the coming anointed one. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he closes the scroll and he says, today that prophecy is fulfilled. I am the Messiah and I have come to rule and bring God's kingdom to earth. So Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed God's anointing and mission. And so what did he do? What was that mission? How did he bring about that rule? Well, in that passage we just read, what was the mission? He was sent to the poor, the oppressed, the blind, prisoners, to set free, to bring sight, to bring healing, and to proclaim the good news of salvation. And what did he do? Jesus spent his time with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, the lowest of the low in society. And he called others to follow him into that mission. He had left everything behind and he called his followers to do the same. To the rich, he said, Sell everything you own and give it to the poor to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, he said, you have to be born again. You have to give up this life and be born again. And to the rulers, he said, the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And to the Pharisees, he said, woe to you. You are whitewashed tombs, empty and full of death. To the poor, he said, you are blessed. My kingdom is yours. To the mourners, he said, you will be comforted. To the meek and lowly, he said, you're blessed, you'll inherit the earth. To those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he said, you are blessed, you will be filled. And to the merciful, he said, you will be shown mercy. And to the pure in heart, he said, you will see God. And to the peacemakers, he said, you are my children. And to those who are persecuted because of righteousness, he said, my kingdom is yours. So he came and he proclaimed an upside-down kingdom. He came to the lowly, to the poor, to the broken, and he said, "You are mine." Okay? All of the worldly structures of power and prestige and authority, he said, that is the lowest. Right? That is the bottom. And Paul explains this in Philippians in the passage that we just read. He says, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So to say the least, this is not what people expected. Take, for example, Peter's reaction. In Matthew 16, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's going to suffer and die. And he's explaining his mission. And Peter says, Never, Lord! This shall not happen to you. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. Basically, you're thinking like a human. Okay? Peter thought Jesus would rule, he thought he'd pick up a sword, lead his people to military victory, or set them free from the Romans or something. But Jesus had bigger plans. His enemy was not Rome, but sin and death. So Jesus moved down, and he looked down. He was God, yet he did not claim power or prestige. He allowed his reputation to be tarnished by spending time with sinners, Samaritans, tax collectors. And he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. After he was crucified, died, and was buried, he defeated death and rose again from the grave. And he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, ruling and fulfilling the prophecy. We know this because in Acts, as Stephen is being stoned to death, he looks up full of the Holy Spirit and looks into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Hebrews says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had been provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And we know that his reign will last forever. He promises to return, to make all things new, to build a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and earth, God's dwelling will be with his people, just as in Eden, We will walk with God and talk with God, dwell with him, reflecting in his glory. And John gives us a preview of this in Revelation. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write down this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus reigns now and forever. His death and resurrection were the final victory over death and sin. Throughout the New Testament, there are references to Jesus sitting on the throne, and yet he is here with us. We inhabit the kingdom of God as it is brought into fulfillment. He is making all things new, and we participate in that restoration. He's making us new, and he's redeeming the world through us. So we are his agents of reconciliation, bringing the world back into right relationship with him. So, what does that mean for us now? Where does that leave us? In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Now it is God who makes us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Just as we have been called to be prophets with Jesus, to speak God's heart to the world, and we have been appointed priests with Jesus to bring heaven and earth together and be God's presence on earth, We have been anointed as rulers with Jesus, rulers bringing God's rule to earth. God has poured out his spirit on us as a holy oil anointing us and claiming us, and that spirit that he pours out is the deposit that guarantees the future kingdom and the remaking of all things. So in this process, we are being remade day by day, and we are the participants and the agents of remaking the world. And in Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And in Colossians, he says, here in the kingdom, There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. We have been crucified with Christ. And Christ calls us to lay aside our identities and ourselves and submit to the rule of Jesus in our lives. When he was talking about authenticity last fall, Eric said, Jesus is what is authentic. Jesus is real. When we come and worship him together, what we are saying is it's not me who's authentic. It's not my identity that's real. Jesus in me is authentic. The world invites us to do all sorts of things. The world invites us to be yourself. Take on an identity. Make yourself an individual. Right, So we take on these identi- identities and tribal divisions that separate us from one another. But Jesus says, that's not who you are. You're mine. I live in you and I make you. I am real. I am authentic. I am your identity. And he calls us to lay aside all of those other identities and desires. He says, you're mine. So in Matthew, Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke upon you, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what does he mean that following Jesus is easy? To follow Jesus, all you have to do is let go. Following Jesus is an opening of the hands and heart and mind. We cling so tightly to ourselves, to our identity, to our things. We worry about how we look, what we're going to eat, if people will like us, if our lives will have meaning and significance. Jesus says, Do not worry about what you will eat or drink, or what you will wear. Look at the birds and the flowers. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? So the act of following Christ is this act of submission, this dying to sin the world, ourselves, our ambitions, our image, our appearance, and being raised to life in Christ and relationship with him. The world is all around us, bombarding us with messages. Look this way, store up your treasures, seek people's approval. We're taught to look up, try and be better. Make more, have more friends, eat better, run faster, try harder. And there's this constant striving to succeed, to be liked, to be appreciated, and to be celebrated. So we have these hierarchies of value. Some people are better than others. We strive to rise, be liked, and valued by others. Then Jesus comes, quietly, gently. He comes to the weak and the powerless and the broken, and he says, let go. Die to the world. Crucify your desires and follow me into love. He points us down. He says, give it all up and let go. I'll catch you. You'll be with me and you'll be safe. As a side note, not really safe in the worldly sense. He also says in this world you'll have trouble, and, but take art, I've overcome the world. You can expect to be beaten down, killed, mocked, persecuted. We are, after all, following Jesus to the cross, so we can expect the same treatment that he got if we're truly letting go. But he does say, I have overcome the world, and I will be with you. So, if we return to that passage, the first part of it that I didn't read just now. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ— If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who remember, although he was God, made himself nothing and took the nature of a servant, and became obedient to death on a cross. If you're with Christ and seek unity with him, be like-minded, be one in spirit and mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition, value others above yourselves, and do not look to your own interests. For me, this is really truly revolutionary. Um, everything that we're taught in this world is to protect ourselves, to gain, to grow, to protect our family, our nation, to look out for our interests. Entire political and economic framework of the modern world is built around looking out for yourself. And Paul just, in this passage, just says, stop. Just be like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He made himself nothing. He came as a servant. And the immortal, omnipresent God submitted to the temporal and physical constraints of this world and humbled himself to death. And not just death, but the most painful, humiliating kind of death that you can imagine. And he rejected the power structures of the world. He didn't become rich or pick up a sword or take over the Roman Empire. He didn't try to change things by changing the political climate. He didn't even join the religious leadership of his day. When he interacted with the powerful, he criticized them and rebuked them. And he spent his time with the poor, and the outcasts, and the prostitutes and sinners. And he ministered to Samaritans, he fed the hungry, healed the sick, and stood with the lowest in society. And he said, blessed are the poor and those who mourn and the peacemakers. And to the rich, he said, give it all up if you want to follow me. And in that act of submission of giving up himself, he won the world. He defeated death and sin and was exalted by God to sit on the throne and rule forever. And now, we get the opportunity to reign with Christ and we're called to join him on that road downward to submission and humility and to give up ourselves, our ambitions, our egos, and lives. So, what does it all mean for us? It's good to kind of talk philosophically about a lot of this stuff, but in practice, how do we do that? How do we submit? How do we join Christ in that downwardly mobile kingdom? How do we give up ourselves and our identities? And the answer to that, I think, is we practice the spiritual disciplines. Okay, The spiritual disciplines are the way in which we bring about the God's kingdom on earth. Okay, they are all about submission and giving up ourselves and acting. They are physical action in the world. So I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I am going to talk about a couple. So the first one is prayer. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He said, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. The way that we submit and give up ourselves and our identities to extend God's kingdom is through prayer. The very act of prayer is an act of submission. We have to place ourselves under God to pray. Otherwise, we're just praying to ourselves. We have to give up our pride to name God as the Father and Lord. And to say, hallowed is your name, is to say, not hallowed is my name. To say, thy will be done, is to say, not my will be done. To depend on God for daily bread, to be totally dependent on him for everything, to not even save food for tomorrow, is the ultimate act of submission and trust. To ask for forgiveness is to let go of my own rightness and to say, I was wrong, you are right. And to forgive and to pray that I will be able to forgive is to let go of some of my pain and hurt and place it on Christ. So I invite you to pray. It's the start of reigning with Christ to submit through prayer If you don't start there, then everything else is kind of a hopeless striving, trying to make yourself perfect like Christ. Even if you do everything else on the checklist of things to do in the Bible, if you're not submitting to Christ through prayer, you're trying to do it by yourself. Prayer is where we fall in love with God, where we learn to love God more than we love ourselves. Jesus says the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We have to come and kneel at the cross and submit to his will, not ours, to proclaim our dependence on him. We lay ourselves on the altar and join him on the cross before anything we do has any meaning. Because when we act in our own strength, we deny Christ's sacrifice for us. And when we deny the need for his strength in action, when we try to fix the world's our set world ourselves, we proclaim that the world can be fixed without Jesus. If I'm not acting in submission to God through prayer, even if I do great things, I'm acting out of my own ego to bring glory to my own name and rejecting Jesus and his rule in my life. So in prayer, we are anointed just as David was with the spirit of God, just as Jesus was, and we receive that power to act in the world and to extend his kingdom in love. Which brings me to the second commandment that Jesus lists. He says the second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says consider others above yourself. Jesus says love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. One of the spiritual disciplines is service. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking and he says, when the son of man comes in his glory, he will sit on his glorious throne, and the nations will be gathered and he will separate the people one from the other. And he will put some on his right and some on his left. And to those on his right, he will say, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you do any of those things? And he will reply, truly I tell you, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. And he gives the whole list again. and says, I I came to you and you didn't do any of this stuff for me. And they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? He will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Once we have submitted to Christ in prayer, he will come to us. We will see him all around in others. He will come to us hungry, thirsty, naked, tired, stranger, in need of a place to stay, in prison. And we will know the invitation to join Christ in his redemptive work in the world and to participate in the remaking of the world, to offer what he has given us to bring justice, freedom, and healing. Our mission at the village is to bring healing to the city one person at a time. And this is how we do it by offering ourselves, gifts, talents, time, money that Jesus has given us back to Him when He comes to us, naked, hungry, thirsty, broken, and the interactions we have with others. And we consider others' needs higher than our own and trust God to give what we need. This is the incarnational message, mission of Christ. Him in us, working through us as we submit to him, to right injustice, bring healing, and wipe away the tears of the world, one tear at a time. When we step down with Christ in this downwardly mobile kingdom, when we walk around looking down to see him, and look to step down with him into sacrifice, that's when we find him. And that's when we're participating with his reign and rule and bringing about the remaking of the world, the new heaven and new earth. So I invite you this week as you pray, to pray a prayer of submission. Pray yourself under Jesus, kneel at the cross, crying out for mercy, and ask Jesus to reign in and through you. And ask him to come to you, naked, hungry, thirsty, tired, broken, in need, And pray, pray that when he does, you would see him. So, I have a few minutes if uh, anyone would like to offer a question or a comment. I would just say that was a really powerful and very good sermon, so thanks for sharing that. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Well, there are a few ways that you can respond tonight. Um, One is through offering. So if you're a guest with us, there's no expectation that you would give, but if you do belong here, There are the baskets. There you go, Bentley. Thank you, bud. Second, um, back there, that white chair is the healing chair. Used to be the sinner's chair. Uh, it's much more friendly and inviting now. Uh, but if you go sit in the chair, somebody will come and uh, pray for you. Okay? And then the third is. Communion. So, it's right here. Never done that before. All right. Makes me nervous. All right. So, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus sat down with his followers and said, Broke bread with them, said, Take and eat, for this is my body broken for you. And he offered them the cup. He said, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you. Amen. Um, So there's wine, juice, and then the gluten-free. So don't dip your gluten bread in the gluten-free juice, apparently. Let's pray. Dear Lord, be with us as we go out into the world this week, Lord. Rule in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our hands, and come to us, Lord, as a body. Come to us, naked, tired, broken, in need, and help us to see you. In your name we pray. Amen.